Hi, everybody. Welcome to Podcast Nonsense. This is episode number eight, and I have uh, Madeline Blue with me. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. She's putting on her makeup. Is so that, that weird? We, so that we can take the picture afterwards for the for the website, yeah, the like Facebook page. I should have known better, but I just was like, oh, we're going to chill and talk, and I don't have to look a certain way. But then you talked about photographing and I got weird. I mean, so. that's not a big deal. It's just it's just nonsense, you know? Yeah. Well, I know who that is. <laughs> so how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah. I can look at you for a second instead of at my own face because that's, okay. that's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, try to try to have a conversation with me and be normal while while I look at myself. You're an actress. There. We'll put an actress job in there. Okay. Yeah. And I, I almost did, but then I felt super cheesy. So okay. I'm glad that you did it <laughs> for me. I don't want to be cheesy. So what's, the go- what's going on lately? What have you been working on? Um, it's funny that we mentioned being an actress because mm-hmm. I, you know, the, the life of an actress when you're not famous is not glamorous mm-hmm. and it's just sort of tedious. And so lately I've been doing really tedious things that are really, I don't even know if they're interesting to even mention to you, but you're always a really... What's a tedious thing? Um, so tedious things are... In our world, there's the pilot season. Okay. I put that in air quotes. When is pilot season for you? So pilot season, in theory, is sometime, you know, at the very end of a year through to, let's say, March. Maybe April, if you're lucky. Okay. okay. And it's it's kind of, there's debate around it because some people are saying there really isn't even a pilot season anymore. Because all these different episodic shows are out and, and networks have different schedules. But in theory, it's still, you know, beginning of the year mm-hmm. for that first quarter. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, a lot of pilot seasons have flown by me okay. in my life. And that's okay. okay. I'm used yeah. to it. Yeah. I've been acting You're my young. whole life. You're young. That's very nice. Um, <laughs> that's very nice. Um, so a lot of them have flown by and at this point I'm, I'm pretty chill with that. Like I'm pretty resigned to it Mm -hmm. because it just kind of, it flows by and that's your thing. Um, but this season I wasn't, I wasn't grumpy about it. I've been grumpier about it Mm -hmm. in, in past years, but this year I was just kind of like, okay, it's flying by, but for whatever reason, some things were stirring up. So all of a sudden all this stuff was stirring up and not even because I was, looking for a new agent, let's say. But ultimately, if we were to bullet point, Mm -hmm. uh, I just got off the phone with my agent, who I've been with now for three and a half years, who admittedly hasn't really done anything for me. But I've been nervous about leaving her because her company is pretty reputable and she really likes me. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you stay in a bad relationship, Mm -hmm. it's not working, but you're like, but the person really likes me. Like, when am I going to be with a person who really likes me again? Okay. Um, so I was having all this anxiety around it, but I got on the phone with her, and she's one of these really typical fast-talking, like, she loves me, but it's still like, oh, hello, how are you? Okay, goodbye. Right, right, That's right. That's the conversation right. every time. Okay. So it was very, <laughs> we had been phone tagging, and this morning it was literally, hello, I love you, okay, what's going on? And I said, oh, you know, I always try to slow her down. Yeah. Oh, you know, like, I really, 
I, you know, this, my commercial agent is really looking to work with me across the board. And she was like, okay, I think you should try it. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, you can still work with me. You can come back. Okay, great. Good luck. Bye. Whoa. <laughs> so but it, like really sweet. And I totally believe her. Yeah. So now I can go with, you know, a smaller agency that I really love and trust the women. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't given them full reins to be knocking down doors for me because I was a little apprehensive sure. to give up the more credentialed Work. agent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so we'll see. And in the meantime, I, I still would love to be putting feelers out for maybe, you know, a little more more of like a mid-tier to, to higher tier. You don't want to go, at someone like me, you don't want to go with um, a super high-tier agent uh-huh. because they – even if they like you for five seconds. You get like backburnered? Yeah. They put you on a shelf. They're like, right, oh, right, that right. would be fun to develop someday. Mm-hmm. And then you could just get kicked out in six months right, anyway. Right. So it'd right. be better eventually to have someone not at the highest tier, mm-hmm. like the big names, but someone just a little below that who would think, you know what? She's got some credits. We really like her. She's good at what she does. She works hard. Like, let's. Let's do it. Yeah, you've done a lot of work, too. I mean, you've got uh, some, like, good credits in there. It's so funny because this is, like, I have to remind myself of mm-hmm. that. Because when you talk to someone like my agent this morning, she's saying, you know, I showed you. She sent me this list. Mm-hmm. She had submitted me for 24 auditions in the past three months. Okay. Now, to me, that sounds like that's nothing. Oh, really? That's like a lot. Like nothing. To me, that's a lot, but I don't know. I know, about. but that's, that, so that's the perspective. It's if yeah. I went on my own actor site, which I'm admittedly bad at, uh-huh. if I went on my own end, I could sum- submit myself to five things a day. Right, right. Now, I'm not her only client, uh-huh. and I'm probably not her best client, so mm-hmm. maybe that is a lot of effort for her. Yeah. But for my end, you're clicking a button perhaps, you know, 24 times out of over 60 days. Right. For me, your client, when I'm thinking, well, if you clicked, if you clicked that button once or twice a day. So you want to go to every audition. You should. I mean, I think she's like, you know, getting it like you don't want to be the clown at the kid's (laughs) birthday party. (laughs) I would be the clown at the kid's birthday party. (laughs) I kind of I kind of wish she'd let me be the clown at the kid's birthday party. Mm -hmm. No, she I think. You know, again, you can't. I'm not an agent. I can't yeah. tell an agent how to do her job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would be totally ridiculous of me to do that. But from my perspective, I think I could be getting a few more auditions, a few better auditions. Mm-hmm. And she's thinking, you don't have enough credits. I can't get you in. Right. So I'm going to pick and choose some one-line roles here and there. Yeah. And if I'm only clicking 24 of them, of course you're only going to get one out of those 24. Oh, yeah, totally. You're, You'd be lucky 15, to, right? th- You'd be lucky to. Yeah. There are 15,000 people flooding in the inboxes on these websites for every submission, right, right. for every audition. How many, so, when you go on an audition for one of these things, like how many people are in the room with you when you get there? Um, like how many people auditioning? Oh, 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 God. Well, it really depends. Okay. And it's, it's, it's you know, I wish I could be more um, authoritative in that area. It really, really depends. Okay. So sometimes... If you're lucky enough and it's, I would say the more credentialed the audition, mm-hmm. like the more reputable the audition, I should say, the more credentialed you are, it might be um, just five to 10 people that they trust will do solid work and they're going to pick between them. Okay. Especially if it's 
a co-star role, which in, you know, industry terms means a couple of lines. Okay. So if they're bringing in people, the casting director is bringing in people for a couple of lines, they might recognize a face or the work of 10 really strong people and bring them in. Mm-hmm. But if you go, in my experience anyway, if it's more of a low budget thing or people starting out, they might not know what they want or what to pick from or they think their pool's different. Mm-hmm. So you might be among, you know, hundreds of people. And I will note, to, to drift subjects a little bit, uh-huh. something that's been driving me up the wall is I've just sort of allowed myself to figure out that people really do this because mm-hmm. I didn't want to believe it. People really do this. Low-budget filmmakers mm-hmm. cast people or have their friends they already know are going to be in their their you know, film or show. Sure. And what they do is they still go on these acting sites and they post auditions and they'll invite, they'll invite like 500 girls to the audition over a series of days, a series of months, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They won't cast any of them because the show's already cast. Right. But they'll connect with all of them and tell them they did a good job. Yeah. And then they'll say, here's my Facebook campaign. Oh. See, the movie was made, and I liked you. You just weren't the right fit, or we picked someone else, but you're great. You think they're using it as like a captive audience right off the bat. Using us like the sad, desperate cattle we are. Right. So you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to like your Facebook page. I'm going to like... You know, like you as a person's Facebook page, I'm going to constantly communicate with it. But that way you're just kind of like leveraging your network for them without getting paid for it. It's the most horrible That is terrible. I've never heard that before. (laughs) I'm just figuring it out because, you know, for a while, you know, actors have egos. For a while you're really like, oh, I am good. They just didn't pick me. Well, you got to think too if they've got, I mean, there's got to be something where if they call 500 people and they're like, well, maybe there's there's a chance here that we're going to find somebody that's better than this person that I already know is in the role. Maybe. But that's, that's, how like, I, yeah. that's like a comedian going on stage and like not knowing what his routine is going to be, you know, and just getting up there and being like, I'm going to come up with the best joke on the fly in front of an audience, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's like not going to happen. No, it's not going <laughs> to work at all. No. It doesn't work. And I'm just starting to realize that it's it's not true. Like maybe that's what they want you to buy into. Like, oh, my friend might do the role if, if we don't find anyone better. But the truth is it's your friend or you already think that person's brilliant. Right. They're in the role. And you're literally just using masses of sad, sad actor people and putting right. me in that pool, thanks a lot. And wasting your time. Wasting your time. And then, like, subsisting on the idea that we're overeager and desperate and are going to believe that maybe we were great. Right. So we're now flattering you by staying connected with you and this and that. And this has been pulled on me now, I'm, like, pretty sure – not to be cynical, but I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure at least four or five times in the past two years mm-hmm. where people I thought I was maybe like networking with right. are actually just like they're doing that with everybody all day. Right. Because they yeah. don't actually want to meet or connect or yeah work with you. That's that L.A. thing where you meet <gasps> so, like people that first get to L.A. are like people in L.A. are so nice. Yeah. You know, and it's like when you come from D.C., you just know that like. Yeah. Like, I'm from D.C. and New York, and in New York, people just don't, they don't care, you know? So if they're nice to you, they're actually being nice because they don't care one way or another, right. you know? 
and in DC, you know, you've got that like Southern, like, I'll be nice to your face, but talk about your, talk about you behind your back, you know? And, um, LA is just like, it's a little mix of both. It is a mix you know? of both. It's like, I don't care at all, but I'm going to be nice just because something might, something somewhere might happen sometime, something I don't want to burn any bridges. I think that's dead on. Here, you know, and like, I don't know who you are. You might be famous. I can't know who everybody is you know I think that's dead on I think the way you said that was dead on it's that they don't care at all but let me be nice just in case yeah um because you know maybe I think I have the upper hand now but you might have the upper hand in a few months and then I'll feel stupid for not staying friendly with you yeah and it's like now all this information splitting in my brain of like all the people that do this to me that drive me crazy because like I know the friendship is insincere Uh But maybe I'm doing it too. Maybe I'm sort of like, be friendly just in case they can give you a job someday. You know, and vice versa. Like, they don't care about me at all and they show it numerous times. But if they hear I did well on something or I announced something, suddenly they're like out of the woodwork, my BFF. That's that's terrible. It's disgusting. Yeah, that's pretty disgusting. Can I curse on this podcast? Uh, You can. If you curse, I'm just going to mark it as explicit. Oh. Which I've never done before. Oh, I don't want to do that then. I mean. I'll bleep it. If it happens, <laughs> if it happens and you do it, pause for a second and I can just edit it out. <laughs> I, fi- I filtered yeah. myself so I didn't say it. I'll bleep it. Yeah. I call these people starers. Yeah. Okay. Because they are. Yeah. Like whenever I see this, oh, I have this one, I have this one old friend, like long time old friend. Mm-hmm. And we always had a lot of weirdness and I had a lot of drama with her family and other friends growing up. I mean, you were growing up in New Jersey, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, things get dirty. Um, But she moved out here and then I moved out here and I just like, she was always very, very, very loyal. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden... Like, I don't know if it was competitive or maybe she thinks I'm weird and have a lot of issues, which could be true, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm like so resentful and she probably cares less. Um, But I'm so resentful. And then every time we're not, we're not really friends. We haven't hung out in years. But every time I announce something that I did, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden she's my best friend on my Facebook wall again. Okay. Like best friend. Like, I'm so proud of you. Let me take you to lunch. Right. And she's not going to take me to lunch, but no. she wants everybody to think she's going to take yeah, me to lunch. Yeah, she just wants to pop up and be visible on you. Yes. Yeah. And it drives me crazy. And I've actually now, at, at a certain point on Facebook, which is the devil, by the way, um, I've actually at one point said to her, like, please stop pretending you're my friend. Wow. <laughs> like, you, like, be my friend if you but want. But you didn't say it to her. You Facebooked her, right? I, well, she was mad because she, she won't pick up the phone. I haven't talked okay. to her in years okay. on the phone. Literally messaged me to be like, hey, congratulations. Or like, oh, I saw that you're in this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, like, can we please? Can, I would love to really see you. Yeah. But since it's been a year and a half and you yeah. won't call me. Yeah. Could we stop pretending? Yeah. Then, of course, I ran into her like a month later, which was super all right, of course you did. Of course you did. There will be pe- there will be people that I come across. There are like people at work that I will just be like, uh, like whenever I interact with them, I'm like, oh, why? I just don't want to interact with you right now. And those are like inevitably within like 
five or six weeks, that's the person I'm working closely with on a project uh, at work. You why know, does that happen? It's because it's the universe trolling you. You know, it's why like does it do that? you because you have resistance to the change, and the universe is like, now you need to learn how to work through that resistance. So I'm gonna take that resistance and put it right in your path. That <laughs> like, is so rude. It was peripheral before, but you need to. I just read this thing that said, um, you know, like if you are resistant to to those, you got to think of yourself as like a factory, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're resistant to those things, you get to the end of your life and you've never been like the stone that got polished, that each one of those things is just like polishing you a little more. Where'd you read that, Gina? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's okay. I I never remember. Just one of those things. Okay, so I can never remember the titles of it. Like I reference the books all the time on they this can- thing, and I never have <laughs> titles for people. It's okay; they can look it up. Yeah, yeah. That's what our lives are. I call it anomia. That's a real thing. What is and it? And I've told you I have this. What is it? I mean, it's not, I don't really have it, but there's a condition where people can't remember the names of things. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. I can't ever. Yeah. yeah. I'll be like, I went on this great vacation, and people will say where, and mm-hmm. I'll say, I don't know. I don't remember where it was. It, I don't know where. I don't know the name of it. Like, yeah. I could tell you where it was. It oh, was okay. in this part of the country or oh, okay. something. I drove three hours to get there through the desert, you know, yeah. but I don't know where it was. Yeah. So the same with books and yeah. whatever. So I feel like that happens. But I like that. Okay. So that, <sighs> that the universe gives you the thing that you are resistant to mm-hmm. and you, and your be and your call is to face it. Right. Such that you can be polished. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. I wish it felt like that. Oh, yeah. It never feels good. No. It always, yeah. I mean, but that's part of the trick. Yeah. And I guess, <laughs> I guess that. Not the, caring that it hurts. <laughs> yeah. That, that's brutal. I guess that's like, you know, that must hurt. I, I would never have empathy for a stone being polished. Yeah. Until now. I mean, but like next time it happens, you're like better for it. And you're just like, oh, I've seen this one before. Okay. Yeah. But do you, yeah. And then in theory, you know how to handle it. Yeah. Or you handle it a little better. Yeah. <sighs> so many things. <laughs> so many things I can or cannot talk about on the podcast. It's, um, it's very interesting your take on the industry and it's very interesting to hear your take as like a woman you know i just had um my friend brian on the podcast who is a director he directs, do i know him uh i don't know he's brian danley no i don't know listen to his podcast he's he's really really thoughtful and really good and um he just directed a girlfriend's guide to divorce oh and um they're about to do their second season. He's working on a couple shows with MTV right now. That's great. Yeah, yeah. He's amazing. And, um, but he had, he had an, ex- like, he talked about his experience from, like, like being, like, a gay man. Like, okay. And growing up through that. And then, like, bringing that, like, that made him a better director because yeah. it made him aware. Right. You know? And so to hear, to hear like your perspective of like going on a cattle call and just getting used because there are so many people out there and like, and you, uh, like kind of sloughed it off, but you, when, like, when I said that you're young, like you've got a long career ahead of you, like you laughed at me. Yeah. I did laugh at you. Yeah. So well, you're very observant as because always. it's like, I don't, as a, as like, as like a man, I don't really think about time. You right. Know? 
Right. And I, I'm especially not in a career that I think is dependent on like youth or beauty or time or age or any of that stuff. Right. So like what is, do you want to talk about that a little Yeah. Bit? Well, I love, th- well, I love that I didn't feel like I brought up any sort of <laughs> feminist <laughs> stance, but that it was just perceivable in, in yeah. the dialogue. No, I mean, that's like a very real thing out here. Well, it know? is. A, it's a real, th- yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real thing on right on so many. Yeah, it's a real thing everywhere. So first of all, it's not you know it's not really about my industry. Mm-hmm. It really is just a real thing to notice, mm-hmm. and it's cool that you notice. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, I have a you know I could I could get on a soapbox very easily, but Do I it. I will <laughs> well where you didn't bring the soapbox, you only brought the microphones. Um, gee whiz. So there's this thing I, I was just, okay. So I'm going to speak, I'm going to perform at a Tufts alumni event. At a what? Uh, Tufts. Tufts. So okay. I went to Tufts university mm-hmm. and they're having an alumni event and somehow I weaseled my way into being like one of their guests, mm-hmm. which is cool. It's a new thing they're doing. Normally they just award successful alumni, mm-hmm. uh, alumni, uh, you know, like Oliver Platt. Normally they just go, let me take someone successful and give them an award. And this year they were like, maybe we should do more for our (laughs) graduates. Right. So they are doing this awesome thing where they just said to artists in LA, you know, give us a submission. And and if we pick you, you know, you'll, you'll have a little, a soapbox, (laughs) so to speak. That's great. Um, So they invited me to perform and that brings up a whole slew of, you know, what do I do? Because mm-hmm. it's just me and do I, you know, no one wants to hear a monologue, you know, right, for right. eight, I have like eight minutes. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not going to do a monologue, whatever. That's a separate thing. But so I've started to have my wheels turning about the kinds of things they're going to ask me and what I'm going to say. And so the first thing is this, nobody in any industry wants to hear your baggage. Mm-hmm. So as a youngish woman, in the industry, while I have a lot of opinions about women in the industry, uh-huh. I've also trained myself to not be too hung up on those issues because it's the industry I chose. Right, but I mean, isn't that like self-auditing? It's yeah. One, it's one thing to have to face like a slew of issues that if you weren't in that demographic group, you wouldn't have to face those issues. And now you're telling me that part of facing those issues is... Like ignoring it? No, not ignoring. No, 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 no. Like publicly not not being vocal (laughs) against it. Not ignoring. Just being careful of the complaining. Sure, sure. So that doesn't mean I'm not going to complain here because you've given me free reign. Yeah. But so first of all, let's let's look at this. What have my roles on television been allowed to be? Okay. A hooker. Okay. Um. A crazy bipolar bar wench. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, a girl who gets made fun of for looking kind of manly. That's a character I've played recently. Okay. Not offended by it. Okay. They dressed me up. It worked. Yeah. Um, so for someone, let's say, and this is, I, I guess I've been thinking about all of this because I had to write up a couple of things for Tufts. And mm-hmm. so I've been thinking about, you know, okay, as a woman in any 
life path, I've always struggled with my femininity. That's something that is true to me. It's true for many women, but I'm very close to that issue. Um, Growing up, you know, being pretty enough or not pretty enough, being accepted or not accepted, that could have all happened just on the basis of being a teenager in our society. But was it amplified by my work? Absolutely. I mean, I had a manager, my first manager that I was stuck with, didn't really know what else to do for 10 or more years, maybe 12. Um, Her whole thing with me was, look, if you got a nose job, I think I could help you more. Whoa, okay. But if you're not going to get a nose job, why are you wasting your time? Wow. And the reality is, that's the industry I'm in. Yeah. If you want to be particularly visually viable on camera, mm-hmm. you might have to make that decision. Women make that decision. And I used to shame all of them. Like my old stance, my teenage stance was like, well, screw that. Like, right, right. you women are fake and I'm real. And now I don't know that I have that stance. Mm-hmm. If a woman wants to be successful in this chosen career and her facial dimensions are the thing that's in her way... Who am I to shame her for going and getting a nose job? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think there should be shaming, but I mean, it's it's to have surgery to alter your appearance to be able to do what it is that you your do. Your job, yeah. And I understand that it's the industry, but like, I don't know. Let me interject this, and I could be completely off base, but um, do you feel like that is... I feel like there is like network TV and... There's TV that's going to reach, you know, an audience of like 15 to 20 million people out there. And then those things are very, you know, like patterned and they're always the same. And, you know, people get uncomfortable with anything else. But then there's this whole whole other thing with like Netflix and AMC and stuff like that that's been going on where uh, people have been taking risks and going off of the beaten path. Totally. You know, and these things are great. And those are the things I enjoy watching. You know, there's some shows that I watch where, like, nobody is pretty. You know, there might be, like, one pretty person on there, but, like, they're the pretty person and that's an archetype. You know, but everybody else's, what you enjoy about the show is the gritty reality of just people, you know? Totally. And that is becoming very successful. Yes. You know? So I agree you with you. That, you see that changing? I agree with you. I mean, there are trends. They mm-hmm. ebb and flow. I'm not going to say back in the, you know, in the old days it was this way and now it's right, this. Right. I mean, you know, because Hollywood actresses dealt, have, I think, dealt with this as long as mm-hmm. there have been Hollywood actresses um, in different shapes and forms. I mean, you look at the trends in the 80s. Women looked a lot more like real women in the 80s. I mean, head to toe in all different kinds of cinema. Yeah. If you catch my drift. Oh, yeah. You know, um, Big hair, different faces, a little more masculine, mm-hmm. tough. Some of those archetypes were archetypes that I grew up very fond of, the mm-hmm. Sarah Connor archetype. Right. Then it became, you know, the um, Laura Croft archetype, very different. Right. It was the new incarnation of that. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there are trends. They ebb and but flow. And even that has evolved. And even that I mean, has evolved. You know, because that's been around for so long that even that has gotten kind of like cartoonistic, cartoonistically like Barbie-esque. Absolutely. I mean, like in very bizarre ways. No. Yeah. I mean, you can, we can speak frankly about, you know, the famed Angelina Jolie. I mean, she's a beautiful woman. Can't comment whether or not that face is real. Don't care. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, now the standard would be someone far less interesting looking. Mm -hmm. It would just be simple and straightforward and, you know, like this Barbie commercialized face that we've come to see. And that's fine. But yes, you're right. There are plenty of avenues for interesting looking people to have work. Now, I might challenge that if I thought about it off the top of my head and say, do those interesting looking women still have to take their clothes off Mm -hmm. in most of those shows? And I would argue probably yes. You know, probably... Well, I'm thinking of something like The Walking Dead, where you've got a character that's, you know, like a like a middle aged woman with yeah. like, you know, a very short haircut that's not dyed. That's like she's got white hair. That's cool. You know, and she's a badass. Okay, see, I love that. You know, and it, again, like it's she's not the one that like saves the saves the day. Yeah. In the last season, you know, so I mean, characters like that, or you know, they've got another character that's uh, an African American woman that with a samurai sword that runs around, you know, and she's just, she's just badass. Yeah. But, and, and that's what, that's, what's beautiful about them. You know, like when you watch, when you watch that character for like two seasons, like go through an arc, you know, and there's an episode that's like just them, you're watching it and you're like, I love this person, you know, but it's not like I lust after this, like object. Right. You know? Right. So then I think, you know, the question there is, first of all, again, great examples of why you can't complain about it because there are places to find a home mm-hmm. if you don't want to do the standard thing. Mm-hmm. There are. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the question would be, do you have to be a certain aged woman mm-hmm. at which time you're no longer sexually viable anyway, so we don't have to market you sexually anymore? Right, right, right. Or, you know... It just seems, I would take a stab at this. I would say, because everything is archetypal in cinema, in television, whatever, and mm-hmm. granted, you're telling stories, so you want to work with archetypes. Again, this is just sort of the nature of the beast right. rather than a blame on any particular person. Mm-hmm. But because things are archetypal, you need to be pushed one way or another. So let's say, um, you know, the example I think of is when my manager in New York was telling me about nose jobs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She said, I can't, uh, you know, I can't submit you for beautiful girl roles, but I can't submit you for the ugly, weird ones. So that was like, a, that was a problem in her mind. Right. You right. know, it was type. So, so the conversation here in industry and in any industry mm-hmm. is branding, right? Yeah. So when your body and face, as well as your skill in theory, mm-hmm. are a part of your brand... That's what we're really talking about. And I'm, I think it happens to men too, just in a different way. Yeah. Because women do tend to be branded more as the sexual objects or not the sexual objects. Yeah. Um, and so really what it comes down to is, is if you're a full person or, you know, you're interesting in a certain way, but not one that fits these molds that we have laid out. Right. Where do we put you? Right. And so something... And in order to fit the most molds, you know, you're going into that, like, archetypes. Yes. Or really, it's from an agent's perspective, mm-hmm. from their business, they don't care if you fit multiple types. They'd rather you fit one really, really well. Okay. okay. So I would say as an example in my own career, one type that I don't fit really, really well that would be great is, like, a normal person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't fit... A normal, sweet, uh, nice, small-energied, 
girl person very well. Okay. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Well, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. But so because of that, you know, the the defiant actor in me is like, well, I could be anything else. Right, and right, I can right. play that too. And agents are like, no, 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 no. Right, right. Honey, listen. You can be a hooker. You can be a lawyer or a doctor, maybe. Um, and at this stage, you know, when you're not at a certain level in your career, you mm. can't go saying, well, I could be that and I could be that. Right, right. So they're thinking, well, we can make you tough chick. We can make you quirky chick. Uh-huh. And then we could put you in some of these professional types. But if you don't have a handle on which type you play, or like here's a conflict I come into in my, mm. <laughs> this, is, this is what I deal with. It's so silly. This is so silly that like this is my business. I have to like, <laughs> <laughs> like analyze all these different aspects of my identity. Um so a struggle I come into is because I'm a nervous person, I'm very bubbly and giggly. Uh-huh. So when people are meeting me, they go, oh, you've got to be in comedy and you've got to be funny and you've got to be quirky. Mm-hmm. So let's like make you quirky best friend or let's right, like right. put That's you in this and that. That's what I see, like, uh, like romantic comedy. Like right. Confidant. Totally. Right, right. So they see that. But then what I get hired for, because I think it's maybe – maybe a truer part of me or a safer part of me is like the angry tough chick. Uh So they're just, their minds are totally like they can't figure it out Mm because time and time again, they're spending all this energy on putting me into quirky comedy. But when the phone actually rings, it's so I can be the bipolar bartender or, or the, or the, you know, slightly goofy, but really twisted prostitute. Uh Uh-huh. So I think that I don't help the people who it's their job to to sell me by being one way when I'm you know gregarious. You know, have you ever thought about doing improv? Doing I do like do. I do do improv. I've so okay. So this is another thing. So I've done improv. I did improv in college at Tufts. We had a very good troupe, and I did that for four years. And I've done it growing up because uh-huh. I've been doing this forever, and I love improv, but. I'm a little wary of going that way branding-wise. I'm already doing that. I mean, the thing that I've been working on is uh-huh. hidden camera comedy. That's, like, been the thing that's worked out for me, okay. which is improv. Okay. So, like, the Howie Mandel show on TBS right, right. is hidden camera comedy. And that's where you're going in and you're screwing with people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was so good. I didn't say the explicit word. If you do, it doesn't matter. I know, and I'm so proud of myself, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, like, having an incredible filter today. It's pretty good. Thanks. Um, Yeah, so, like, for that, that's improv. Uh But it's not what they're they're doing at UCB. You know, there's a lot of rules and structure and gaming that's very different when you're dealing with real people who don't know you're screwing with them. But I feel like your energy just lends itself to this, like... You know, like I, I feel like when I go see UCB or I go see, you know, like the Groundlings or something like that, I feel like you have an energy that would be able to, like, take over the stage. Well, thanks. You know. Yeah, I've got a there lot of There are people, energy. you see people that can take over the stage and you see like 75% of the people are just kind of like, oh shit, they called on me. <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't see you as one of those, those people. I see you as one of the people that would like, you know, really run with it. Thanks. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons I don't. 
mainly mainly I'm doing it in my work. Mm-hmm. Um, secondarily, it's money. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, you pick and choose where to spend your money. And time. On the 18th yeah. round of new headshots. Right. On the, you know, what I've been defaulting to the past couple of years is every time I've had that opportunity to take an improv class mm-hmm. and get into that system, I've put my money into a dramatic acting class mm. because I think that's just where my heart is. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I'm always thinking about it. It's always one of the 15 things I'm thinking I probably should do. Yeah. Because what happens now too, now I have the hidden camera on my resume, but right. when I didn't, I would go in for this funny stuff and they'd go, oh, we really like her, but she doesn't have any UCB on her resume. Mm. So they really like seeing that you're a part of that community or whatever. And I do have it on the resume. You should also like, um, I'm not, I'm not plugging things, but you should listen to, (laughs) you should listen to Jason's podcast because he did the groundlings for a long time and he did UCB and IO West. And like, he talks about, uh, like he talks about the three different like improv groups and what their, what their specialties kind of are. And he went through like this. Uh, multi-year arc at the Groundlings where they want you to develop a character and then you need to have these characters and you can see where the people that do it and the people that do it the way that they want it done like show up at the end and then they're like okay now we're gonna take you and put you on Saturday Night Live or now we're gonna take you and put you on the sitcom because you've like not only shown that you can do but it's like he go, he talks about the whole process, yeah. but it's intensive. You know, it it's is like intensive. You have to be like writing your own sketches and developing a character, yeah. and then you get on stage and you be like a third character that's not from the thing that you're writing, that's not from this thing, and it's all going on at once. Wow! So it's like almost all day, every. And I was like, you'd almost have to be like unemployed for six months or a year to it's like a lot do of work. this because it's a lot, it's of, work. A lot of work. It's got to like, be. Yeah. When you get to the end, it's you know they've got like a ninety percent payoff rate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is pretty good. But it's a good one to listen to because he talks about the differences and where their benefits would be. And yeah. And one I might one might be better than the other. Yeah. No, totally. And I'm I'm here. I'm pretty familiar with at least my take on mm-hmm. the differences. Um Groundlings is character development. Mm-hmm. Uh U C B is um I wanna say I'm wondering if this lines up with what he told you. Mm-hmm. U C B is gamey mm-hmm. and then um io which i love and i have some history with them we took courses with them mm-hmm. at, at our troop cheap socks at tufts university Yay, cheap socks. um they io is very story based uh-huh. so when you see and i've i've seen a couple brilliant acts there where they get up and they're just they're just telling these hour-long improv stories you know just like creating these whole pictures mm-hmm. um it's a little more like intellectual, I think. Yeah. If I want to yeah. be snobby what, about well, it. it. Seemed, yeah. It seemed like, I don't know anything about it, but yeah. it seemed like there were three different categories of things yeah. of, of like seriousness to the, to the quote unquote craft yeah. you know, of, of what it is that you're trying to do. Totally. You know? And, and Groundlings is definitely the character one. And mm-hmm. UCB, you know, they'll they'll kind of look at you funny if you come in going, rah, 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 rah. Right, you know, right. they're like, UCB just have a conversation. Like Comedy Central kind of like, can you be on set with three people that are just making stuff up on the fly? Right. You know? <laughs> right. No, that's totally it. And, you know, my boyfriend is in Growlings. Mm-hmm. So he just did, um, he took basic and then they, they Oh, often, so you know all about it. I'm, well, I'm starting to. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't pass a lot of people right away. No, they don't. So they'll have you take basic again. 
Well, he said he went all the way through this process, yeah. and then they were like, okay, not this time, come back. And I was like, like at the top, they said that to him? When you when you go through the process, you have to like start over the process from the beginning. No. Yeah. And so he was <gasps> like, I don't have the time or the energy no. for this. Yeah. Yeah. There's well, and I guess you and know. And it's one have, of those things. Yeah. It's like I used to. I used to hear people say, you know, like if you got turned down for a college that you were applying to, or if you got, you know, there's there's some institutions that just flatly turn people down on their first application. Yeah. Just because they want to make sure you're serious, you know. <sighs> and so I feel like the Groundlings is one of those things that, like, if you make it through the gauntlet and then yeah. you decide you're going to run the gauntlet again, they're like, okay. Yeah. Year. Or, you know, maybe just maybe you're not that good and they kick you back to the <laughs> beginning and you do it again. <laughs> Which I think, you know? you know, my thought is these are freaking powerhouse machines now mm-hmm. and there are so many people doing it. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if they passed most of the people? I mean, there'd yeah. be like yeah. 80, 85 Saturday Night Lives full of people mm-hmm. who thought they were at that level. I mean, so they do have, I'm glad they're being a little discriminant. Yeah. You know, but. It's it's hard if if you are someone and this is this is another actor complaint. We should have labeled this actor complaints. We will. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll just call it actor complaints. <laughs> because another thing that that's just something I've had to accept as I make I make this choice, right? I mm-hmm. could go I could go do something else. Mm-hmm. I'm a capable person. I'm a hard worker. I yeah. could go do something yeah. else. So And you're smart and skilled in other areas. You know, you're not just like an actress. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. So when I make this choice, I have to recall, I have to kind of, okay. So the gripe is, (laughs) the gripe is there are so many people, so many people trying to do this Mm -hmm. that it's hard to be seen. It really is. And Mm -hmm. if you talk about what an actor wants at the core, most of us want to be seen, Mm -hmm. right? And some for different agendas. Mm -hmm. Some because we want to be famous. Some because our mommies never loved us. Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like, I would think, I would like to think that at my core, I want to be seen because I want to share something. So I I feel like I have a lot of integrity as an actor. Okay. So it's very hard when you see all these other people, Mm -hmm. especially on, on the systems they use now, like, access and breakdown and these these systems that anybody can join Mm -hmm. and millions of people are inundating this system Mm -hmm. so that those of us let's say if i want to have a chip on my shoulder those of us that are really really hardworking and want it and and might be good at it Mm -hmm. can't even be seen over the you know right underneath the the just pool yeah like the swamp of people yeah yeah. and um that's why i think one has to just decide that people might view me as part of this pool and people might one day view me as above the pool Mm -hmm. but i want to keep doing it yeah i mean that's where it that's what it comes down to right like you can't you can't do it because you're going you can't do it because one day you're going to like be getting an academy award. You have to do it because it's like, you know, you have to get through the 20 years of like hating life first. <laughs> I've been through the but 20. That's, that's, how, 
That's how it is with anything, though. You know, I mean, like anyone can get up the first 60 percent of any learning curve, you know, in the first couple of months, you know, and then you got like 60 to 80 percent, which is a couple of years. And then you've got, you know, the last 10 percent of anything you do is a matter of I mean, you've already got the A at 90 percent, you know. So you get from like 90% to 99% is, and to get, so think about when you're at 98%, like how much work it takes to like move up into the 99th percentile and how much it takes to move up into, you know, like a place where you're competing with like seven other people in the world. Yeah. Like you're competing with the entire world at that point. Like that's pretty, that's pretty heavy, you know? So that takes a lot of time. So, you know. I like I like how you're viewing that like an Olympian because let's think about people who have to work harder than anybody mm-hmm. their whole lives mm-hmm. and on these sort of tiers where it's exponentially harder mm-hmm. to win mm-hmm. or to do what you have to do, but that's what you choose to do. Yeah. And so on some level you have to at least like the challenge or yeah. you're going to go absolutely out of your mind. You have to love it to keep doing it. I like but- love. The flip, the flip side is, though, you get to compete with less and less people as you move up the ladder. Yeah. You know, like, the president only has to, like, beat one other person <laughs> to be president. Like, if you got there, you only have to beat that guy, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there, there's something that happens to me mentally that I really just have to keep working on, where... I'm very aware of the rungs Mm -hmm. and there are certain rungs that really freak me out and make me not great at what I do. And there are certain rungs that make me super confident. So I'll give you an example. A rung that makes me super confident is being called by someone I know or don't to just be asked to do the job. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I know I can do this job. Thank you for asking me. I go and I do the job better than ever Mm -hmm. because I just have the confidence from the get go. If I go in for a really low-level audition, I'm going to have a similar kind of confidence. Well, it's weird that they have to evaluate me, but I know what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to go in, blah, blah, blah. There's something about this middle rung Mm -hmm. where, man, you got into a really good audition, and now we have to evaluate whether you're good enough. On that rung, I am not good at my job. Like, I'm not good. Mm-hmm. And I need more. I think this, the frustration with needing more auditions as an actor, which everybody says, is I need more opportunities to do that and exercise that so that it doesn't freak me out so totally. much. Because right now I can't totally. do my job. Like, if CBS Radford, yeah. which they did the other day, mm-hmm. calls me in and says, oh, we'll give you this opportunity to be a, a lead on a pilot. Mm-hmm. Show us what you got. Um, that was really, really scary. Yeah. And I think I did an okay job, but not the job I needed to do mm-hmm. because it's too scary. Mm-hmm. Now, if CBS Radford called me up and said, be on the show, I would say, okay, <laughs> and there right. would be no right. conflict. So, But that's where you know you're going to be successful because you went into that thing and you're saying to yourself now, no matter how good you were, you'd probably walk out of the room and be like, and, and think to yourself, you know, I could have done that a little better. Well, I think all of that comes down to a topic that I've been honest with you about, which is my extreme social anxiety. Okay. Because really what's, or, or performance anxiety in mm. that case, whatever you want to call it, it's anxiety. So mm. really the only thing in my way in those moments are the fight or flight chemical response that kicks in in my brain that's mm-hmm. literally paralyzing me from doing my job. 
I, I know that that's like because sometimes I'll have conversations with people. Yeah. And I'll be talking and I'll get like halfway through what I'm saying and I'll realize that the other person is listening and my brain will literally yeah. shut down. Yeah. It will just be like. Yeah. And I know you you're know? familiar with that. And that's why, you know, you know, like turn on a microphone or turn on a camera. Mm. My job is to not be affected by that. Right, right, right. But I'm so, <laughs> like my job. Yeah. But something happens in certain under certain conditions. Yeah. You know, on a stage, I'm very confident because there's something about the blur of people where mm -hmm. it's not personal. Yeah. And I can just kind of tune into what I'm doing or feed off of what they're doing. And the quantity of people. It's easier with the quantity of people. Totally. For some reason, which I is I don't bizarre. know why. Yeah. And if it's one person in a room, again, this middle ground thing that happens. Mm -hmm. If it's one person in a room, okay, I don't have to worry about them or I'll just connect with them. Mm -hmm. But when it's like, like at, at, you know, at a pilot audition, like the one I right. went on, when it's five or six people, mm -hmm. If something happens, and again, depending on the expectation or whatever, it's five or six people and a camera, and you're like, ooh, don't pay any attention to them. They're not there. Right. But they have to like me. But, oh, don't think about that. Yeah. Don't think about that. Yeah. It's just something. Yeah. Brains. George Clooney says that if you go into, he said he's always playing with the, uh, with the house's money. I, you've told me this. He I goes into this. the audition knowing that he doesn't have the job. Yeah. Like, you don't have the job at the time, and you're fine right now. So if you get the job, that's great. You know, like, the roulette wheel landed on black, and you're rich. <laughs> but if it if it doesn't, then you're just in the same situation. So It's so good. It's so but, good to practice that But that mentality. doesn't help when you're walking into a room <laughs> with, like, five people that you really, like, respect that are, that are there to literally judge you. <laughs> and, your, and your fear is being judged. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I think you just have to do that a couple hundred times until you're like, I have to do this again today. Okay, let's go. Yeah. You know? And I think as a kid that I was doing that like three times a week. Or if you don't have anything to like, if you don't yeah. have anything to lose, like literally, kid. you know, like I feel like if I went on that audition, uh, of course, because they're never going to audition. So <laughs> I'm going to say this. I'm totally going to get away with saying this. You know, I feel like I would just be like, okay, this is me. I'm going to do my thing. And if yeah. you don't like it, that's great. I'll just go back to my job. <laughs> you know? And then that somehow would give me some kind of advantage over, like, actors that, like, really need a job. Yeah. You know? And, like. Yeah. It's so, yeah. And it's so much easier when you have a job. Yeah. Like, when you have a job already or you're working really constantly right. or whatever. I think if I hadn't had just a couple of things, little tiny things that were happening at that time, mm -hmm. it would have been way worse. Mm -hmm. But I was like, okay, you know, they asked. First of all, they asked. So that was one of those plus points. Right. They asked me. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to ask for the audition. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a couple things. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to mess it up because that's the seed that gets planted. Right. Where, like, I'm literally going to mess. And I've messed. I mean, I'm like the worst actor example. <laughs> like, stereotype. I've messed up. Like, okay. it's not like I've never messed up. Everybody's messed up. No, like, a lot. Like, just. Like, you go in and you look like a basket case and you forget all of your words. Okay. It's I not mean, good. Yeah, but. If you tell that to an agent, they'll be like, then don't audition anymore. Don't, then don't tell that to an agent. <laughs> what are you doing? Don't, that's don't the, ever that's audition in the past. Again. It's not going to happen again. Oh, you're so good. Yeah. You know? I'll try. I'll try to remember it again. It's not about. It's not about the memory of it. It's about what your body and mind are doing to you. Yeah. 
in a moment. And again, it's it's only immersion therapy that works. Like right, only right, the doing. Right. Ooh. It's funny that you were talking about archetypes earlier. Yeah. And uh, we were we watched that uh, the Mockingjay. Oh yeah. The latest like Hunger Games movie. Yeah. Last night and oh my god, it's so frustrating to watch those movies. Tell me, tell me why. Well, it was one of those things where like you could tell they weren't. They like weren't putting makeup on Jennifer Lawrence because she's like in you know she's supposed to be in like this war bunker and you you can just tell that somebody at some point made a decision that was like well if you're in a war bunker like you're not gonna be wearing makeup and that makes sense and it's Except like she's, no she's wearing it's makeup, a one hundred million dollar budget <laughs> movie like just you know like also though you know she's wearing makeup right yeah well then they didn't do a good job. <laughs> You know, and it's just, it was just weird. I didn't say that. It was just weird where, you know, like, there would be these points in the movie where you'd be like, okay, this is what's going to happen next. Yeah. And it would. Yeah. And just over and over and over again. But um, to get back to the archetype thing, there was a point, you know, there was a point in it where I was like, they, they dress her up, they dress her up, and they make a joke about making her look like she's 35 when she's still a kid yeah like in the movie and i was i just think that's so funny you watch like silver linings playbook mm-hmm. and she's like a beautiful woman and then you watch like the hunger games and she's like a kid mm-hmm. you know and she keeps going back and forth between like being a kid and being an adult and i was just like oh man this is just it's i said to jordan it's going to be so heartbreaking when they like turn her into the whore Oh yeah, and that or when well, they, they turn did. or when they turn her into the witch. Yeah, well, they did you know, already because it's just like those, like tarot archetypes. Yeah, well, you take you through the progress. Like as soon as you're yeah. done being, and she's like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "Well, right now she's like the virgin." Yeah, you know, well. and like, well, but on screen she's still like a kid. Right. That's, you know, doing these roles, and she still has like people's imaginations people still love jennifer lawrence right but like the next stage is like the scandal well they did that yeah well with the with the leaked photos yeah they did that and i have to say i mean you know didn't didn't hurt her career so that's always interesting because you're right that was the next move they did it yeah they tried to scandalize her and make her a dirty whore yeah and instead, women spoke up because she's so loved that people, yeah. everyone across the nation was like, leave her alone. This is she's terrible. not a whore. Find these hackers. <laughs> <laughs> and then all the other actresses came out and took nude photos because they all well, wanted the same attention. It's like, what do you think about that? Because we just had the CIA just issued a paper that said that they can't hack Apple computers. <laughs> so the CIA can't hack Apple computers. <laughs> But, like, the cloud got hacked and all these photos got leaked. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, is no. that – is the CIA just really bad at hacking computers? <laughs> or is there somebody out there that's better than the CIA at hacking computers? I think the CIA That is... released all these photos? <laughs> or, or did these photos get released on their own? I think – well, first of all, yes, the photos probably got released on their own. Yeah. Second of all, the CIA is lying. Of course they can hack Apple computers. (laughs) They're just trying to look like they have no way of invading our privacy. Guys, guys, we promise we don't know how to do that. We wish we did. We've been trying for years, but we've never been successful. That's insane. That's true. That's true. That's good. Of course they know how to hack Apple computers. 
Hunger Games is such an interesting example because um, it speaks, especially the la- the last movie speaks to some of these actor dilemmas. What were we calling this? Actor issues? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. So it's you know th- there's this really fun part in the film where they say to you know they tell Jennifer Lawrence's character to um, to follow the script and she's a really bad actress. Mm-hmm. But when they tell her to use her own words and they put her in the real environment, she's suddenly emotive and capable of, of being. Right, know? right. So I was very, I was like, oh, I love that dilemma because <laughs> I have this hang up with, you know, lines, mm-hmm. which is like the worst way to think about the things that you speak when you're right. embodying a person, yeah. you know. But lines can get very overbearing, especially for auditions. Um and, uh, you know, I had an acting coach all last year who wouldn't even let you use that word. <laughs> Very pretentious. Lines? The word Don't lines? use, yeah, they're not lines. They're, they're the words in your conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, right. But, but I loved that because it was true to something. There must be different. I want to know this from, like, the neurological perspective. There's these different parts of the brain working when you're just embodying, like, when you're playing as an improv artist. Mm-hmm. Versus when you have a script and you have to absorb the material and then say those words exactly as they are, especially for me as a perfectionist, mm-hmm. something happens that can be very limiting. Totally. Like when left to my own devices and not working really hard on it, there's this wall that happens when you're trying to just remember what was what you were told to do and then also somehow be natural and embodying in the moment and, and emotive and express yeah. something so i just loved that moment in the movie they 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 touch on a lot of those issues the whole issue of um you know what television is becoming which is a reality medium mm-hmm. and um how people are called both to be themselves but also to be a little more than themselves in order to you know push agendas across or to entertain right right so i love some of the themology in that movie but when you <laughs> Well, that's what we got halfway through the movie, yeah. too. And, like, we're rooting for the rebels. And I was just like, oh, in America, we're the capital. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, no, I see. So the themes I love, as for, you know, yeah, the how they're dressing people and, right, and right, making right. people look, I'm with you. I mean, I almost brought this up earlier. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is beautiful at embodying this new tough girl archetypes so we went Mm. from the sarah connor to the lara croft to the really plasticky looking people and now we kind of get you know a girl next door looking fuller bodied woman Mm. who gets to be the tough chick and i think that's super cool yeah you know could i see it moving even more towards we'll um, we'll see how long it lasts i mean that's the way it was with emma stone and she kind of fell down the hole i think yeah well can i tell you know what happened to Emma Stone? What happened to Emma Stone? She got a lot of work done. Really? On her face. Yeah. Wasn't she just in? Am I thinking of the right person? Wasn't the, she just in? Um, the Birdman. Yeah. Yeah. She used to have a really interesting face and be beautiful. Yeah. The first time I saw that Vanity, it was that Vanity Fair cover that I saw, uh, like, an, in an aisle at Target, and I was just like, "Who is that?" Oh, that's I thought that's it was Emma Stone. I was yes. like, oh no, no, no. I know because she looked like for a minute. Who is that gorgeous, perfect-looking person that doesn't look like she's had work done? Um, from uh, Mean Girls, the little blonde one who also does musicals. What is her name? 
whatever. She's stunning. She has these beautiful eyes. She's blonde. She has this perfect little face. No, she's the one with the perfect little face. It's just perfect, but it's perfect. Look at Tina Fey. <laughs> yes, Tina Fey. <laughs> Whatever. She's awesome, and that's good for her. But then I saw Emma Stone, and I was like, oh, I thought it was her, mm. but that's not what Emma Stone looked like. Mm-hmm. And Emma Stone was a beautiful girl. Yeah. She still is a beautiful girl, yeah. and it's not for me to judge. Yeah. But I did see, I thought it was a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Because you're one thing, and you try to be another. Look, one of yeah. my role models. Um, but it comes off as inauthentic. You know, one of the reasons why you love Emma Stone is because of the authenticity. Right. And, like, when you do something where you're inauthentic, you kind of, like, the audience feels cheated. You yeah. Know, like, the public are like, eh, well. And then there's the argument. We is know you're inauthentic. You yeah. Know? Well, and then the argument becomes, you know, is the capital doing this to them and expecting it of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, if you see this Russell Brand viral video that went I, up. I mean, I think it's like uh, – I think it's self-policing. Mm. Self versus your entire well, team. Well, I think every, well, everybody on the team is self-policing, right? right? It's like that agent that's telling you to like get a nose job. Yeah. Like she doesn't know that a nose job is going to get you more jobs. She right. just knows that like she just thinks that that's a thing that people do in order to be more brandable as that thing. And she thinks she can sell you more that way. Right. But so she's self-policing and like advising you to get the nose job. And then you're getting the nose job because you're self-policing thinking that's what the system wants. So if we're all doing what we think the system wants Mm -hmm. instead of following what we, what we think the system should be, then we are giving our power away. Yeah. You know, and that you're right. And then it's this um, amorphous entity that has the power. Right. That's kind of, there's not been like a conspiracy from the top. It's just like, oh, the population does it on their own. Yeah. And I want to, I want to believe that because then it gives us the power back Mm -hmm. in a way. And on another level, you know, I do know that, you know, behind the curtains of some of these production teams and Mm -hmm. big producers and this and that, some of that is literally going on. Like, Some, not all, but some producers at certain top levels are saying, well, I only want the one that looks like a cookie. Like her face was cut with a cookie. Like, And and that's really happening on some level. But what's true is the public doesn't necessarily want it. Mm -hmm. Like men don't necessarily want women to look not like real women. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in this system of people, the impression and the reality has developed that, no, we need them to look this way. Well, it's like we, we run into this thing where the executives at the top will, like, advertise the hell out of a show. Mm-hmm. And then when the show's successful, they're like, look how successful the show is. And then there will be, like, another show that's basically the same show that they won't advertise at all. And they'll be like, this show isn't successful at all. We're going to cancel the show. <laughs> and you're like, don't you understand that – like just getting behind any given show is like the I mean the people for the most part are going to agree or disagree that that's a good show but the difference between like that show on CBS lasting seven seasons or three is you just advertising the hell out of it for three seasons right. until like everybody gets up that hump yep you know, and then you're at that season three hump and you're good for like another four years yeah like and you everyone's have- gonna watch I feel you know, but like if you decided season two after not putting any money behind a show, like, you know, immediately 
because there will be a pilot that airs that you've never heard of. The mm-hmm. show's been on, and you're like, this is the third episode of the show? I didn't even know this show existed. And, like, you know there and then that it's gone after the sixth episode. Right. Like, it's just got, like they made the decision already. People aren't making the decision. But if, you know, like, the executives and the money were like, this is the new show. This is the hot new actor or actress. <laughs> this is the hot new thing. You know, like, you'd just be like, oh, man, did you see Lost? <laughs> You would, you know, because they just get, they put that power behind it and that becomes the water cooler thing yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I think you're totally right. In and of itself, there, you know, what power or money is behind something determines its success or at least its run. Maybe yeah. not how people are going to perceive it. And I feel like you would have some familiarity with this closer than I would just from being behind the scenes more with, with shows coming and going and you would sort of know. I just, get, I just get to talk to I just get to talk to a lot of people. Yeah. I'm gonna have um, there was an executive in there. Uh, she's like the executive in charge at DreamWorks TV. Yeah, who's gonna be on the show cool. in April. Awesome. And I've had lunch with her. She has these experiences where she runs like the focus groups with the kids yeah. and stuff like that. And that stuff is just like fascinating to listen to. Yeah. Because you're like, how does that work? Like when you pr- you're gonna air something in front of like seven eight-year-olds like how does that work and she says there's literally they look for a point where and i might have this totally wrong so i might be putting my (laughs) phone out but from what i think i remember her saying is like they wait for a point where like there's one kid in the room like no kid ever likes the show and then sometimes there's like a kid that gets up and is like no guys this is good and like points to the tv and explains why it's good and like after that point like all the kids love the show and so they wait for that, like, Get that tastemaker, that eight-year-old tastemaker to stand up and be like, no, the fact that the pizza talks is cool. This is why it's cool. Do they call him a tastemaker? No, I'm, call, I'm calling I him a tastemaker. I love that. I'm calling him a tastemaker. It's maker. so right on. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. The trendsetter, the, the, yeah. the tastemaker. Yeah. And then everybody kind of falls in line. Oh, my God. Not that this surprises me. So if me, nobody's getting up, wild. so if you haven't created something interesting enough to, like, make that one kid st- get up and stand up for it, yeah. then it's not worth it. Well, that's – and that's where you go as, you know, an entitled young actress. That's where you go about your agents. You know, mm. your agent's like, I can't get you in the room. And you're like, be the tastemaker. Yeah. Tell them I'm fantastic, right. you know, even if right. you don't believe it all the time. Right. Tell them because yeah. they don't know. They yeah. don't know. They don't know half don't the know. time. Yeah. yeah. I had a friend who was connected at one point. And if you're saying that about somebody else, yeah. tell me who they are so that I can at least, I can at least like gear Emulate. myself towards that. Per- I can learn something from this experience. Absolutely. You know, and, grow. and it's what you said. People are self-policing so much that no one's going out on that limb or it takes your family member to go out on that limb for you. You know, it yeah. takes, that's why I think you know, connections, connections, but I think it's really just that some people are willing to stand up for each other in that way Mm -hmm. and others are not. They're self-policing. They're going, you know, I don't want to say she's great and then they don't think she's great. Then I look like a chump. You know, I was saying I had a friend who thought he was pretty connected, who was was sending emails for me all over town, but then I saw one of the emails he was sending and it was like, hi, I know this girl. She's pretty good. She has this and this on her resume. Oh, no. Let me know what you think. And I was thinking, that's how you're introducing me to people. That's what my dad has always said. My, uh, he's got this thing where, you know, 
you always get letters of recommendation, yeah. right? From college on, right? You need to send letters of recommendation yeah. in college, right? Yeah. You write the letter. Oh, it's so right. And then the other person said, you know, the other person just agrees to, if you say right. to somebody, can you write me a letter of recommendation? Somebody goes, oh, I got to sit down and think about what I'm going to say. What right. I'm going to say. And, and then they self-police. Yeah, and then they self-police. And they go, I don't want to over I don't want to yeah, sound like I'm she turns bragging. out not to be a, you know. You go, you know what? I'm going to write the letter mm-hmm. and I'm going to send you the letter. And you can make any changes you want and send it back to me and let me know what you think. Decide to sign it or not sign it. Yeah. You know, And then they'll just, anyone's just going to like read a glowing letter about somebody and sign it. Totally. You know? Unless they don't like you and then you get somebody else to sign right, it yeah, and, put, exactly, and put another exactly. name but on you your don't letter. Want that, you know, and you never get to see those letters. You know, in most yeah. cases, those teachers send out the letters to the universities and it could just be like, you know, this person is just like, uh, like a really average student that's <laughs> self-serving. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I always had that. I, I had that fear around college time because I didn't get into my top choices. But then I was very Tufts lucky. A pretty damn good school. Listen, <laughs> listen, Tufts. I love Tufts. Uh, I'm so grateful I went there. My sister was going there, and mm. I just didn't want to go where my sister went. It had right, nothing right. to do with Tufts. I thought Tufts was awesome. Mm. My sister and I had had this weird interaction, where she, which was typical of our push and pull and many sisters, um, where she had invited me up one time to visit. I said, I want you to come. I want you to come. I want you to come. Spent an evening with me, and at the end of the night, looked at me dead in the eye and said, if you come here, you're not allowed to have any of my friends. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. like, I am not coming here. Wow. Of course, then I came and I took some of her friends. Yeah, yeah. Not took. But you have to at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's her resistance. That's her policy. But she kept some of them real. <laughs> she kept some of them real strong so that, uh, you know, she won. She yeah. won in the end. She's the older <laughs> sister. She always wins. So we're basically like at an hour. How was that? That was really fun. That was really fun. It's always thank fun for, talking to you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I, I really I, appreciate it. And uh, will you do it again? Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, um, <laughs> this is Podcast Nonsense. That was Madeline Blue. And I am your host, Patrick Krebs. Please give us a review on like iTunes. That's what I'm pushing lately. I need more reviews on iTunes. <laughs> If I get like 50 good reviews on iTunes and I can start to get syndicated. Awesome. I have people telling me. I'll review you. Yeah. Put a good review in there. Um, Anyway, thanks for listening, guys.